Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that continues to prove if you're going to be ridiculous, well first, you must be ridiculous. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Ooh, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine, uh, coming to you on the day after, the day after International Pipe Smoking Day. And more on that in just a minute. On uh, this week's show, in pipe parts, I'm going to ask, a, I'm going to answer a listener's question about um, some of the uh, behind-the-scenes tobacco manufacturing things. So, listener question, uh, and it's going to take it's going to take most of pipe parts to answer that. My guest is uh, one of those five to ten year journeyman pipe smokers, Ethan Talley, and uh, Ethan's in his short time, he's lived uh, lived quite a life so far. And then uh, music, mailbag, and rant, all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And uh, you know what? I, you know, I was so excited by Valentine's Day last week uh, that I completely forgot that, uh, that this Monday the 20th was uh, International Pipe Smoking Day. Now, here's my excuse. Today, the 21st, is uh, International Wife of Brian's Day because it's my wife's birthday. And we've got our daughter in from out of town, and so, you know, all kinds of stuff going on around here. So, sorry, I missed it. I skipped it. Um, Not much I could do. I did do some uh, podcast recording on uh, International Pipe Smoking Day, so that's what I did for it. Uh, What did you do? Did you get a chance to uh, sit down with your pipe and enjoy it and relax? And, uh, hey, it was also a holiday in the United States and a holiday in Canada, federal holidays in uh, in both countries so at least we got uh, we got days off to do it so all right enough of that let's get the show rolling everybody sit back relax fire up a bowl thank you all for tuning in and here we go take a look at your pipe rack are all those briars and mirrors constant companions in your rotation or are there some that you gravitate to more than others? Are there some that you simply don't smoke anymore? Through SmokingPipes.com's estate trade program, you can transform those underused pipes into immediate cash or store credit. Just send us your pipes and we'll unpack, inspect, and evaluate them based on extensive market research and over 20 years of experience. Then we'll contact you with a detailed offer for your choice of cash or store credit Valid on any items in our vast selection of pipes, tobacco, cigars, and accessories. If you're not happy with our quote, we'll return your pipes free of charge to domestic addresses. It's that simple. Join the thousands of Smoking Pipes customers who have benefited from this program and start your trade today by contacting us at 888-366-0345. That's 888-366-0345. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and for pipe parts. Here is the email from Bob Bittner, who, if you remember way back years ago, Bob is more talented than I am and funnier than I am because he put together some uh, satirical commercials for us that are just hysterical, but you got to go way back into the archives. Uh, but anyway, uh, Bob writes, Brian, I have a question for either yourself or Jeremy Reeves or both. I apologize for the length, but I was struggling with how to clarify my question, especially since it may be somewhat controversial. I'm curious about the behind the scenes in-house production when different tobacco brands are produced by the same manufacturer, particularly in light of some historical brands returning to the market from current blenders. Uh, Take Capstan, St. Bruno, and Three Nuns, now all produced by McBaron. Would McBaron acquire and warehouse tobaccos to be used exclusively in each of these blends? 
and no other blend to maintain each each brand's integrity and keep them distinct and separate from McBaron labeled product? Or would every blend made in the same facility potentially share the same leaf? My worry is that these new versions of historic blends, whether from McBaron, Peterson, or whoever, may just be a matter of branding and packaging. That is, maybe Capstan Yellow is just HH Pure Virginia in a different tin or with a slightly different topping, or would it be wholly distinct and separate product? How much homogenization is happening? Thanks, Bob. Well, Bob, you asked you asked a lot there, and you are correct. And I'm going to try to answer it as clearly as I can. Um, and I didn't want to propose this to Jeremy because I didn't want to put him on the spot. But uh, the answer is yes to all of the above. Uh, in particular, I know well. Yes is happening. Uh, <laughs> there are some. There are some that are clones of each other. There are some that are used in other packages and so on. And then there are some that are completely different. Uh, I will use the the example that you used in particular of Capstan Yellow is just HH Pure Virginia in a different tin. This one I happen to know, and I can tell you that they are two different products. Uh, Capstan Yellow is a base Virginia blend. The Virginia leaf and the and the mixture is slightly different than HH Pure Virginia because HH Pure Virginia is uh, is a very Virginia forward. Uh, Capstan does receive a little bit of a top note, which or a little bit of a casing to it, uh, which the HH Pure Virginia does not. They are pressed and processed almost identically. But here's the magical beauty of our pipe tobacco blends. Uh, if you change something by 1% to 2% or change slightly the way you process it by, you know, even if you change the temperature on the pressing or the time in the press by 10%, it'll alter the blend itself. Now, when you're talking about what uh, what happened with the Dunhill product being moved from Murray's in 2006 to Orlick or Scandinavian Tobacco, and then later rebranded under the Peterson name, uh, those were formulas that were passed along. And the exact formula and the exact grade of leaf was passed along to the new manufacturer. Whether or not the new manufacturer say, um, adhered to that exact formula completely is something that you can ask somebody who's familiar with, uh, both versions of the blend and they can tell you better than I can. I, I can tell you that in a, uh, you know, in a banner name like Dunhill, uh, they're going to do their best to replicate it. Now, the minute you move manufacturing, then you change what I call the water in the factory which is the basic way that you treat the water or you or the air or the way you store the tobaccos and that's going to alter the blends a little bit now here's where i'm going to let some cats out of the bag per se uh and let's say that i wanted to come up with um brian's blends and i could go to any of the uh the the bigger manufacturers so uh, Scandinavian Tobacco or McBaron or maybe Kohlhaus and Kopp in, uh, in Germany and tell them that I want my own blends. Now, yeah, of course, FDA regulations and stuff and start working with some of their base components. And I might just say, hey, look, you've got this blend here that you're producing under this name and it's primarily selling in this market. Why don't you use that for my blend, you know, for my version of that, and I'll market it here in the U.S. Uh, this goes on a little bit more than you would think when it comes to uh, different names of brands and stuff like that. So when you look at uh, stuff, uh, especially coming from Germany, there are so many brands there that those companies have inherited or taken over, and I'm talking about like the like the Rattrays and Freiburg and Trayer and McConnell's and uh, uh, 
Wessex and, uh, you know, all those different names that they've inherited over time from other manufacturers. Well, those are, those may be just regionalized brands and they may get, you know, pretty much the same stuff in a can with a different label on it. And that just makes manufacturing a whole lot easier because you can't really sit down and do an entire, you know, a, a unique batch of something that's, you know, relatively small, in a, you know, like five, 600 tins at a time. Uh, it's just really expensive to process and pack that way. So, uh, yeah, some of it does happen. Um, some things, especially if you look at, you know, stuff that may be popular in one country and not popular in the other, well, those might show up under different names, but they might be the same blends. Uh, the key thing is remember, enjoy what you smoke. Um, I do know for a fact that when you talk to, uh, if I were to talk to Jeremy at Cornell and deal, uh, those are all unique blends. Uh, everything that he does is unique. You're not going to find a, a GLP's formula switched over into a Cornell and deal name or vice versa. And that's because they are small and boutique enough that they can do those unique separate blends. Uh, same thing in like Germain and I'm not, I'm pretty sure Samuel Goweth would be right along the same policies, you know, something unique. Uh, Sutliff produces a ton of stuff and not one of those blends duplicates itself. You may find very close variations in different areas, but that's about it. Hope that answered the question, Bob. Hope, uh, hope I made it um, as clear as mud, but your answer to all those scenarios is yes. And in just a moment, my conversation with Ethan Talley. This is Internet Radio. Since its beginnings in 1876, Savinelli has become more than just a pipe factory. It's become a lifestyle. From sourcing the finest Mediterranean briar and partnering with local artisans to acquire unique accents, to expanding their catalog each year with new, innovative series. Savinelli produces high-quality Italian pipes that serve as a reflection of your individual tastes. With a portfolio that ranges from rugged designs fit for the outdoors to elegant pieces destined for black tie galas, Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and joining us for the journeyman pipe smokers, the uh, middle-aged pipe smokers, the five to the five years or so guys is uh, somebody from my from my neck of the woods, but way about as far away from me as you can get without getting into water or leaving the state is Ethan Talley, a uh, young, youngish pipe smoker, fair to say. <laughs> Ethan, sure. Ethan, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Hey, it's really good to be here, Brian. I'm happy to hang out with you for a little bit. Yeah, all right. So tell me, where did you grow up? When did you grow up? And what did you want to be where, when you grew up? And why don't you have a, a North Carolina twang? <laughs> um, okay, so to start off, I grew up in uh, the upstate of South Carolina, actually. Um, about halfway between Greenville and Clemson. Uh, a lot of people know where Clemson is because yeah. of the football team. Um, but all it did was create traffic problems for me <laughs> most of my life. Um, as far as when I grew up, I'm a product of the nineties born in 1990. I'm 32 years old. Um, and I mean, growing up in a not so rural town, um, it, it wasn't, anything out of the ordinary for most other people my age um as far as the twang um it just depends on who you're talking to i guess because uh i mean i've lived in other states and i've i've had the benefit of of experiencing a lot of things and recognize that while some people might view my accent as exotic and you know and and they want more information about it. Other people view it as something to be ashamed of. And, um, <laughs> you know, that's not always great, but, um, you know, I, I definitely am fortunate to, to be able to communicate, um, however I need to, depending on who I'm with. So 
I figure this is my radio voice and I, I guess I better be as uh, <laughs> articulate and intelligent as possible. So, yeah, y'all, y'all better talk goodly. You hear? <laughs> uh, I, I gotta ask you growing up in the upstate of South Carolina, did everybody in your family have shoes? Uh, yes. Um, although most of them had holes in them. Um, okay. I will say we were very fortunate to, um, grow up I, I grew up um the son of a firefighter paramedic and a public school teacher um and uh we were always provided for even if it was on uh state salary and state benefits so you so you use educated folk oh yeah educated folk I, I have a master's degree my dad now has a doctorate wow a PhD, an actual phd in psychology um and uh, my mother as well. So we we tried to break away from the "you ain't as smart as you think you is" <laughs> mentality. So, wait, wait, was your dad the firefighter who then got a PhD in psychology? Yes. Um, so my dad is. Uh, uh, my parents were married very young. My dad actually was drafted. He went into the army um, and didn't start his. Uh, scholastic career until uh, after i was born actually in the 90s and wow. to make ends meet he uh was a firefighter paramedic uh he retired at the age of ripe old age of 45 um to begin his second career as a clinical therapist um and finished his official phd degree in 2021 wow so he's 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 a badass um yeah you know, and it's it's funny, like talking about like what did you want to be when you grew up? It's it was really nice to have your dad as your hero, you know, growing up at the firehouse and being able to experience like that form of servitude and heroism. Um, it definitely puts a a unique perspective on you as a young child. Yeah, and I guess your dad's kind of proof that you're you're never really done growing up, are you? Oh, absolutely. He would, he would tell you that a hundred times over. Yeah. All right. So where did, so, so you got a, you got a master's degree and where'd you go and why, and how'd you end up in the <laughs> mountains of North Carolina? So, um, to kind of step back a few steps, um, I have an undergraduate degree in outdoor and experiential education. Um, and that's very important to note because up until, let's say 2017 when I started graduate school, um, I was actually a professional um, kayak, whitewater kayaking instructor. Um, and so I made a living out of teaching kids and adults how to navigate whitewater. Um, and I uh, also teach swiftwater rescue, uh, which is you know, when the floods start and you have to call the fire department, it's like the, the dudes that show up in weird colored suits and rubber boats and, you know, help you. Um, so that is what I did. Um, and through that experience, I recognized that there were experiences that were momentous for people that I could only go so deep as far as debriefing and you know, having these conversations that would potentially inspire them to better themselves, maybe. Um, and I saw it fit to go back to school and actually get my master's degree in professional counseling, just like my dad did. Um, and not that I'm doing that right now, but uh, I just finished that in what August of last year. Wow. So, so you're still not done growing up? No. Oh, I hope not goodness if this is the pinnacle we're both in trouble yeah no kidding um i'm still playing with toys so uh <laughs> so I, I just gotta ask you on the whitewater stuff uh sure. can you train people how to go up river <laughs> or is it only down river uh so my my joke especially living in the mountains um and there are a lot of people that like to ride mountain bikes and go rock climbing and i grew up rock climbing my wife is a professional rock climbing instructor as well um you know, I prefer to work with gravity as much as possible. Um, <laughs> however, there are definitely times where paddling upstream is, is necessary, especially for training and stuff. And there's, there's, you know, a philosophy behind it. There's, uh, you know, training behind it and it, 
it actually works uh, as, as long as it's deep enough. So, yeah, you can go upstream if you want to. So your wife is the anti-gravity department, and you're the gravity department in the family. A little bit, yeah, a little bit. She, uh, I, as much as it sounds, it's it's kind of flipped on its head though, because my dreamy head is leveled by her, you know, pragmatism and realism. <laughs> so um, we may choose to do things for fun in opposite directions, but we kind of hold each other together in real life. So you, you balance each other out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all, right. all right so in amongst all this when did pipe smoking and how did pipe smoking kind of come into your life oh man that's a really good question uh so let's drop it back to what 2013 um and i'm an undergrad and you know i I had frequented, I, I don't know how familiar you are with the Greenville, South Carolina area, but there's a, there's a pipe and cigar shop there that's been there for quite a while. It's called Boda. Yep. Um, and I had been familiar with Boda from the cigar perspective because that was a family tradition for us. Um, you know, kind of special occasions, beach trips, things like that. We would, of course, go to Boda and, and pick up a handful of cigars for our experience. But the pipe always really intrigued me. Um, mostly because I thought of it as this form of asserting your intelligence. You know, people would see you smoking a pipe and, and they would say, oh, that person is definitely smart. Um, I was so wrong with that, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> um, you know, but so of, of course my first, my first pipe was a corn cob pipe. Um, the blend would have probably been... I think it was actually a burly blend, um, something that was in house that I just picked up on a whim. I didn't, I didn't initially, uh, get drawn to aromatics, which I'm actually kind of thankful for. Um, I, I was able to kind of experience the more natural side of things without the casings or at least the overt casings, um, you know, Virginia's and Burley's and that kind of thing. Um, and through that experience, uh, it's kind of funny. I, I went to a very small uh, religious university in upstate South Carolina, and um, we actually kind of formed this group of guys that would go out um, and have uh, a weekly or, or biweekly uh, smoke night. And we would sit around the campfire and, and talk about philosophy and, um, you know, uh, inklings type discussions we we discussed literature it was it was a really cool experience um and somehow we all ended up smoking pipes and <laughs> that kind of helped solidify my love for the hobby um i i thoroughly enjoy smoking a pipe and the amount of time it takes to smoke a pipe um the art behind it um yeah. as a smoker the art of smoking a pipe but also um the the mood that it puts me in as far as the contemplative um you know reflective perspective that allows me to you know either prepare for my day or wind down from my day so, uh, I'm, I'm just uh, i'm just gonna guess before we go to the break was that uh, Furman university it was not it was, it was north greenville university actually whoa that's even smaller all right exactly um, we're gonna take a break right here when we come back more with ethan so stay with us we'll be back in just a minute hi i'm jeremy reeves head blender of cornell and deal we know pipe smoking is a personal journey that's why our small team of blending and production experts take a personal approach in every step, preparing tobacco products just for you. We source top quality leaf through the personal connections we've made around the world, hand blend that leaf, and carefully package each tin. Each product, from special releases like our small batch line to our most popular mixtures like Autumn Evening, are made right here in South Carolina by professionals dedicated to providing the finest of smoking experiences. Lighting up a pipe is an exploration through evolving flavors, thoughts, memories, and even dreams. From our hands to yours, Cornell and Deal tobaccos are your passport for that voyage, provided by people who, like you, value the journey. 
we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with Ethan Talley. I'm, I'm assuming, Ethan, you've been up Schitt's Creek without a paddle once before? A couple times, but oh, you, you okay. try to bring a spare as much as possible. Yeah, all right. Because <laughs> those paddles, if you let go of them, they float faster than your kayak does, huh? Typically, and, and your hands are not nearly as effective. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, so... So you're hanging out at school, and you guys are sitting around the campfire smoking pipes together. I'm assuming maybe some uh, some discussions of C.S. Lewis. Uh, a few, um, you know we we attempted to discuss things like that, but whether it be someone from a more theological perspective in the group, or someone like me who's coming from the uh, fiction side of Lewis, um, you know, it usually ended up, uh, being a little more heated in discussion. And so we, <laughs> we, uh, we usually didn't talk about Lewis as much. I mean, we talked about Tolkien a little bit, um, but it was more about, um, even like modern educational philosophy and, um, you know, <sighs> mostly philosophy stuff the stuff you can't prove you just think exactly you yeah. know if this then maybe that so so when did you uh when when did you get into i'm assuming you got into briar pipes and and other stuff when did that happen after the oh, corn yes. cobs um probably about a month or two after that first corn cob uh i honestly felt like the cob was just a little too flimsy for what I was wanting to do with it. Mm -hmm. you know, now, obviously I, I will say that that perspective has definitely been challenged. Um, as far as, you know, the, the ability of a corn cob pipe, but, um, I bought a, it's probably a basket pipe of some kind from that, that, uh, from Boda pipes and cigars, it would have been like 50 bucks. Um, and it was good. It was like a little bent apple. It, you know, it, it did what it was supposed to do. It was not the most um, exciting smoke by any means. It, it was exactly, I, you know, I approached it from this. I know I'm not paying full price for a full price pipe. And so, um, you know, it, it had its nuances, if you will. Um, however, I had a, a classmate of mine that was moving and he needed to sell a bunch of stuff. Uh -oh. And that included a handful of brown pipes. And um, he sold me, uh, it's, it's actually still one of my favorite pipes. Um, it's a Nording Eric the Red billiard, straight billiard, big bowl. Um, and um, that was one of the first experiences of a high quality pipe that I had. And I know that's not the most expensive mm -hmm. line that Nording has ever done. Um, but it was a, a leap and bound above the basket pipe. And so um, through that, I found that a briar pipe can do a lot of things and go a lot of places. Um, and while there is maintenance involved, just like anything else, um, it, is, it is something that will stick with you um, to the point that I uh, was in an automobile accident uh, two weeks ago now where my truck actually rolled over. Um, oh. and ironically I was smoking that Nording Eric the red, uh, as my truck was in a barrel roll. And, um, wouldn't you know it, I, uh, got out, I was pulled out of the truck after they, you know, used the jaws of life on me. And, and sure enough, there is my Eric the red on the pavement, um, without a scratch. And, Sad to say, it did not still have tobacco in the bowl. That would have been so much cooler. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, if they leaned over and picked it up and gave it to you and it was still smoking, I would have been like, all right, wow. Oh, man, that would have been the coolest story. Um, but um, it was fine, and all of my other pipes that were in my, my dot bag for the day were fine. None of my tobacco jars broke. Um, and I feel very fortunate, but I think it speaks to the utility of a pipe, you know, I've, I've been down the Grand Canyon twice now. Um, so like a 19 day trip and a 21 day trip and I have taken pipes each time and, uh, smoke them in very significant places. I have this cool picture. I think it's on my, 
uh, pipe smag profile, but uh, it's me smoking a Meerschaum Churchwarden um, at the Nankaweep Granary Overlook, which is kind of this iconic Grand Canyon thing. And wow. there I am smoking some Country Squire Green Dragon, you know, after a week in in the desert. Um, and I, I don't know, that's just, to me, that that is such a different perspective than the other forms of tobacco that people enjoy. Um, and it, it proves that, you know, that pipe can go with you just about anywhere and be, you know, be your comfort when you need it. So, yeah, I've got pipes that have gone on trips with me and, and I look at them and I go, I know where you've been and you were there with me and, Hmm. uh, yeah, I, I don't have any pipes that have gone in the grand Canyon yet. And I don't think I will. Uh, maybe the edge, but <laughs> uh, well, you know, I got a lot of flack for that. Actually, I, you know, I mentioned going. I before we left, I was like, you know, what would you do to on the forums and stuff to keep your pipes protected and stuff? And people were like, you're crazy for doing that, you know. But we made it work, and goodness, I was better. I was better for having that stuff. Honestly, it it made that experience. You know, the guy that went down the Grand Canyon the Colorado river as a whole for the first time, you know, as far as navigability and stuff goes, he smoked a pipe and shoot. Why can't I do that? So. Yeah. Wow. All right. So you also talked about Meersham and Briar. Do you, do you have a preference between, I mean, between one or the other, or is it just time and place for you? Mostly it's Briar. Um, even like I have what, like four or five, maybe six corn cobs, um, and I treat them similar to my Meerschaums, which are specifically for that uninhibited taste ability where you're not going to ghost something um, and you're able to actually taste the tobacco for what it is and not get, you know, the cake and the influence of all that stuff that a briar would. But, but even within that, I, I smoke like I have like a 40 minute, 50 minute commute to work both ways. And mm-hmm. so I end up smoking bulk a lot. Um, and so my pipes become kind of seasoned to that. Um, usually it's Virginia or Virginia Perique, but you know, Briar to me, at least the pipes I have seem to work better for that kind of use. Um, and for some reason, I don't know, they just feel a little more sturdy. So I end up just going with that more apparently they can survive a rollover accident yeah apparently Uh, have you gotten into aging and storing and cellaring tobaccos are you as crazy as the rest of us are um you know i actually have uh this is (laughs) this is funny it's i've been super selective about what i've aged but i've got what kringle flake 21 that I have had and have cut off, you know, just a little bit every once in a while, um, for a smoke. Like I had one a couple weeks ago, kind of a Christmas thing. Um, and then I'm really into, this is like super, um, super off beat, but since nobody ever talks about it, but GNLP's temple bar, I think that is one of the most phenomenal, tobaccos on the market that no one ever talks about um and i keep uh a rotation of a fresh temple bar uh cake and then also um the one i have aging currently is like a year and a half old um and i really enjoy the differences between those two um you know how the latakia mellows out um but also how some of the other blend of the other tobaccos varietals come in and you know aid that flavor, um, especially with age and pressure and time. I just think that's really a beautiful picture of, of what time can do to something and make it more beautiful. Yeah. So you're, I mean, you're really getting in deep and, and you're only five years in and (laughs) good luck. (laughs) I'm, I'm trying. Uh, how many pipes do you have total now that you're willing to admit to? Let me count. Let's see. Come on, counselor. The best thing to do is if you got a problem, admit it to yourself. Yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't say it's a problem. Okay. I have other. I have too many other expensive hobbies. Um. <laughs> so, let's see. Maybe fifteen. Maybe. Okay. Um. I I was on a kick, maybe about seven or eight years ago, of buying 
uh, eBay pipe bundles and doing restoring jobs on them. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, I, I've got a bunch of those and those are kind of, I, I call them like my working pipes. Um, you know, whether I'm working in the shop or even out in the yard or I, when I worked landscaping a couple of years ago, I would actually like do dry stack walls and smoke my pipe while I was doing it. Um, and they're, you know, they're like, some of the brands are like Angelo or like just like plain check yeah. um, branding, or I've got one that's, it's just, just beautiful little prints. Um, it's called the executive and I, it's always my, my joke pipe. Cause I'm just like, why would you call this the executive? It's so small. You'd think you'd want it to be like grandiose and large, but, <laughs> but they also work good for teaching yourself how to clean them and how to, and oh, how to yeah. restore them and that ex- that experience was was one of one of the funnest things like i i actually so currently my job is i do trim carpentry um pretty high-end trim carpentry and i've always worked with with wood and and i think restoring those pipes was a way for me to really focus on detail um and and put as much effort as possible into like the smallest stuff, you know, whether that's reaming out for cake or cleaning the bowl, restoring the shank, you know, the mouthpiece, all that stuff. Like, I I don't know it, it, there's something special about it. And I think when you can bring new life to something that someone has already given a life to, um, you know, that's, that's just really special. And it, uh, and it gives you a chance to get really familiar with the pipe as you're, as you're doing the cleaning on it and, Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after spending all that time with it, you don't want to let it go. Yeah, it it definitely uh, adds to the intrinsic value of things, which makes it hard when you're like, you know, I could, I could probably get rid of a pipe if I if I want to get a new one. Um, and of course, that's that's the story you tell your significant other too. Oh, I'll get rid of one, you know, to to make room for this other one, <laughs> and. Um, gosh, it makes it really hard to let go of that thing that you spent maybe $5 on, um, you know, before you put time and effort into it. So, so about how many bowls a day are you smoking now? Two to three. Okay. Um, two, definitely, you know, like I said, one in route to work and then one home. Uh, and then if I have shop work to do, I, I can't not go in my shop without, you know, filling a bowl and doing that. I've been doing a lot of restoration work on some nightstands and stuff for my wife. And so it's easy for me to put the JBL on and, you know, light up a bowl and and listen to probably your podcast um, and, and just go to town on something. So, or the cat can come and sing to you. Yeah. Yeah. The cat is looking at me pretty wantingly right now for attention i suppose um <laughs> it's, a, it's but yeah you know i uh i i think that if you, if there is a place that you could smoke a pipe i have explored the the possibility of doing it there um whether that's for the sake of doing it or for the sake of of experiencing it so yeah all right well part of the deal was i offered if you had a I offered you guys if you had a question or two or a topic you wanted to discuss. So now I turn it over to you. All right. So I have two. They're related, um, but separate. Um, One you may not want to answer, but here we Uh are. Uh Um, (laughs) If you could have a desert island, Virginia Perique, that is available now and in bulk, what would it be? Oh, um, 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 well, I'll, you know, I, the best ones I've actually ever smoked were from, uh, the late nineties, early two thousands, a Scudo, and then a late eighties, early nineties, three nuns. However, okay. the problem is, uh, the problem is I'm lazy and, <laughs> And those are in coins. Sure. So part of the reason why I fell in love with my McClellan's Blakeney's Best Acadian Ribbon is because it's already rubbed out and I don't have to do all the work and I love the taste of it. So I guess technically I've got mine. Um, Unfortunately, when I loaded up, the company went out of business. So 
Mm. Uh, in fact, I was doing the math earlier today on I've yeah I've got to slow down on the consumption of it that I've got because I'm going through it faster. Yeah, I might die. I, I might actually live longer than the supply. Uh, <laughs> Heaven forbid. Yeah, um, and my wife doesn't want to kill me anymore. So, um, well, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. So that I mean, that's really it. I really found the one. Yeah, you know, it's a it it's it's a blessing and a curse because I found the one that I like, but at the same time, I don't like anything else that much. So I I understand that I really do. Um, that's kind of what I was getting at with the question is like I've I've kind of started this whole perspective of, of kind of the pragmatic pipe smoker um, where you're not going after new releases and you're not, you know, following the hoopla of the internet as far as what's hot and what's new, but finding something that say our grandparents or, you know, our great grandparents stuck to because maybe that was all they had. Um, but also, you know, more so you you find what you like and you stick to it because you like it. Yeah, and that doesn't necessarily mean you're not open to trying new things, but you've got to have that consistent to come back to you. Yeah, to refresh. the trick is the, the trick to me is don't find what's hot and don't find what's trendy. Find what you like the most. Absolutely. Yeah. And those aren't always the same things. So. Yeah. yeah. All right. Part two. Is there is there a part two or did I kill your idea? <laughs> No, you didn't kill the idea. Um, you actually, I, I actually had a, a notion that you were going to go in that direction with the Acadian. Um, but uh, my next question is, if there was a tobacco that is not within your normal sphere, but it had to be your desert island tobacco, what would it be? So basically, I should clarify, it can't be a Virginia Perique. I quit. um i i guess i'd just start swimming if if it couldn't be a virginia perique so the one that comes closest to that is the mcbaron hh old dark fired okay Uh, that's a great tobacco by the way yeah i i um i enjoy it a lot i i enjoy it a lot primarily during the winter time um and i've always described it to people as uh, you know what? You know how when you eat a steak, you don't think you haven't been overwhelmed with flavors, and you don't feel like you've eaten a lot. But then you go to stand up, and you're like, <laughs> "Oh, damn!" Um, that's the HH Old Dark Fired. It's got a lot of uh, it, it, there's some nuances, but it's very monotone in its nuances. And at the end of a bowl, when you're done with it, you know that you have smoked a pipe. Uh, and That's I could, fair. I could, you know, if I was stuck on a desert island and couldn't get my Virginia Periques, because for some reason the Virgin the Virginia Perique boat wouldn't stop by my island, but the HH Old Dark Fired would sail on by. Yeah, I could do that. Hmm. Yeah, That's fair. Um, the uh, The key thing between both of those is they're fairly high in nicotine too, so sure, I'd be buzzed and happy on my island <laughs> you'd, you'd be sitting sitting up against a palm tree with your head spinning um smiling and trying not to throw up yeah and the occasional mermaid swimming by you know oh of course you know yeah. they always do yeah all right well we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions no right answer no wrong answer just whatever comes to your mind are you ready absolutely uh what is your favorite pipe uh, favorite pipe would have to be that uh, Nording Eric the Red. Eric, we're going to change it to Eric the Rollover Red. <laughs> and, and what is your favorite tobacco? Um, I would say my favorite tobacco ha- would have to be um, Luxury Navy Flake. Ooh. I just had a question about that recently. Um uh, <laughs> And what is your favorite drink? And no moonshine. Um, moonshine is not a choice. Oh well, never mind then. Um, <laughs> bathtub gin does not count. Bathtub gin. Uh, so honestly, I would probably have to say 
um, a beer. And I, I hate to be super trendy about this. Like I love scotch and bourbon and stuff, but living in Western North Carolina, it's kind of hard not to like beer because there's a lot of it. Um, you know, Asheville has been called beer city before, not that I live in Asheville, but close enough. Um, but I do live really close to Oscar blues brewery. And so I end up drinking quite a bit of IPAs. Um, so if you like pine saw, um, yeah, (laughs) Oscar blues IPAs. I like it. Uh, when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie or music? Music usually. And then finally, I'm going to guess but do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory? And if you don't say hiking the Grand Canyon while smoking a pipe, I quit. <laughs> oh, Brian, it gets better than that. Oh, no. We weren't, we weren't hiking. We were on a raft-supported river trip both times. So oh. I went 280 miles down the Colorado River with a pipe. Um, and that is by far one of my most favorite pipe smoking memories. Absolutely. All of a sudden, I'm having flashbacks of hearing Ron White talk about all of us guys went down to the river. We were drinking beer and, and smoking cigars in the tubes going up and down the river, and not one person had to get out to pee. Yep, and, you know, you might hear a banjo or two. <laughs> yeah, not out there. You'd, you'd hear a coyote. <laughs> <laughs> Ethan, thank you very much for coming on and doing this. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, I greatly appreciate it, Brian. I really do. And we'll be back in just a minute. For over 150 years, Peterson has welcomed all pipe smokers. It's the preferred choice of the thinking man and the everyman alike, and our workshop too is a place of hospitality and warmth. Hi, I'm Glenn Whelan, and for me, Peterson is a family tradition I've known since my childhood. My dad, Tony Whelan Jr., worked at Peterson for 53 years and has been my home since 2003. From sweeping our factory on a Saturday morning to managing our store to now steering our international distribution, I've seen the craftsmanship poured into each Peterson pipe. It lives in Jason's discerning eye as he handcrafts our silver accents and in Wojciech's able hands as he carves our rustications. It abides in Willie's grading and in Warren's papering. Peterson has welcomed us as contributors to its legacy. And it's a welcome we always extend to you. Cade Mila Folge, 100,000 welcomes, wherever you come from, whosoever you be. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And this is your underachiever host here. <laughs> so I felt like when listening to Ethan talk about what all his family has done. But anyway, uh, it was great talking to Ethan. And for music, we go to uh, Jess Steer suggested this one a while back. Uh, it's called Variations on the Canaan by George Winston, piano player. Turns out the Canaan does have a pipe smoking uh, a pipe smoking uh, link, and the guy that per uh, the guy that um, <laughs> the guy that composed it. Here we go. Speak English was a uh, composer and organist named Johann Pachelbel, and I've heard it spelled or pronounced a couple of different ways, but that's the one I'm going with. P a c h e l b e l. The connection is that he was a uh, uh, he, he was a organist in 1695 in Nuremberg, uh, and during his time as an organist, uh, he taught a uh, young Johann Christoph Bach how to play organ, and Johann Christoph Bach in turn taught his younger brother a certain Johann Sebastian. Bach. So, anyway, this is the uh, this is the Canaan. It's the it's George Winston's variation, and I'm uh, really happy Jess sent this along to me. It's 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 really pretty. So here we go.
And if you want to find that again, you can find it on YouTube. It's called Variations on the Canaan by Paschal Bell by George Winston. And uh, thanks to Jess for sending that in. If you've got music suggestions, email them to me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. And uh, speaking of emails... Message from the dark side there is. Remember, if you have a comment or question, email it directly to me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, or post it on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on pipesmagazine.com. A couple of emails to get caught up on from the past. Uh, Guy wrote... Brian, it was a pleasure to hear the latest episode with Gabe Skippola. He came across as down to earth as a down to earth fellow of the Briar. His eclectic taste of different tobaccos resonates with me. On another note, I would like to echo your heartfelt thanks to John David Cole and Bo York of the Country Squire Radio Podcast. Listening to their podcast has been a staple for me, as with your podcast for the last three years when I picked up a pipe and sought guidance to the nuances of the art or hobby of pipe smoking. I'd eagerly listen to both there and your podcast after hitting the gym or sitting down somewhere peaceful and quiet. I will surely miss them. Thankfully, going forward, I'll be able to still listen to their past shows, but it'll still feel like there's something missing. And then he sent me a question for uh, Jeremy, so hang on to that. And uh, Bryant says, uh, hi, Brian. It was definitely bittersweet hearing about the Country Squire podcast. I'm glad you're still planning on having John David on your show from time to time. I was really looking forward to the Journeyman Piper segments, and Gabe Skippola did not disappoint. Can't wait to hear the next installment. Thank you for the list of retired pipe makers, too. I really enjoy when you turn us on to artisans and even blends that we may not have been aware of. Lastly, I hope your vacation went well. You sure deserve a break. Best regards, Bryant. <laughs> Actually, the, the vacation went great. I was really tired for like two or three days afterwards because that's a lot of vacationing. Um, and then Steve wrote this and he says, Hi, Brian. Enjoy your show and find it informative and entertaining. However, was disappointed in your and Rich Esserman's snide comments about single malt scotch enthusiasts. You have consistently held up the principle of like what you smoke and smoke what you like. You don't criticize smokers' choice of pipes. The principle applies to any hobby where tastes are involved. Taste and budget are subjective. In wine, two-buck chuck is fine for some. Others will spend hundreds of dollars or more. In the 70s, I participated in a wine club with two rules. Bring a bottle of wine that cost no more than $10, and second, we had to drink all the wine. We found some great wines and had some great times. Some cigar smokers are happy with curly heads. Others will spend $40 for an Opus X. Others hundreds or thousands for Cubans. My son and I save our money and smoke one excellent cigar a month. I smoke the pipes the rest of the time. Uh, Some like Taco Bell, others gourmet food, others steak, etc. To each his own. Uh, As to whiskeys and spirits, tastes are all over the place. Some like cocktails and mixed drinks. Some like their spirits straight. For my taste, brown liquor is sweet and sometimes cloying. But a friend had me try Woodford Reserve, and it's a nice sipping whiskey. And it is a nice sipping whiskey. Uh, Back to single malt scotches. There are five distinct regions in Scotland, each with multiple distillers. I think Rich was referring to Islay whiskeys that he disliked. They are intense, peaty, smoky drams, not best to start exploring scotches. If you get a chance, try one from try one from different regions. The differences can be night and day. And uh, weren't you drinking Glen Fittich when, compar- uh, when comparing pairings back in your earlier podcast? Uh, wrapping up, no matter the hobby, from the outside, enthusiastic aficionados look at, look a little crazy. Single-source coffee from specific altitudes, scales and grinders costing 100 bucks up. I'm getting sucked into that rabbit hole, but I don't turn my nose up at people who like Nescafe Instant, the world's best-selling coffee, or Mr. Coffee Maker Brewing Maxwell House. Just saying. By, by the way, like your eclectic music choices precisely because they include choices I would never make. Uh, and then he sent a uh, suggestion along for me. And it says, Steve, a.k.a. Brass on Pipes Magazine. Uh, well, Steve, let me just say, if I, uh, if I offended anybody, I apologize. Um, 
if I remember right, and I, I didn't go back and listen to it, but I'm pretty sure what was from my side was the people that say that you have to like single malt scotches and you have to like uh, English blends because those are the ones and you have to like this. No, I don't have to like anything. Uh, Steve is exactly right. What you have to do is find what you like the most and find what works best for you and celebrate it. And that's what I've done. And I don't mind. Anybody want to poke at me anytime, fire away. Happy to be poked at. So uh, just keep those emails coming. And then finally, from uh, last week's show, uh, Dino says some wonderful behind-the-scenes patter about industry and Internet adventures from both you and Bo. A very warm, funny, and interesting conversation about Country Squire and its coming sundown. Uh, that's Country Squire Radio. Uh, Dino says, great music choice, chuckle, chuckle, because Dino suggested it. And when Dino suggests music, we play it. Uh, your closing remarks about Valentine's Day were so on the mark. Thanks for another always entertaining show, Dino. And then Casey Ghost says, as you know, I'm not enamored with Bo York. Not that he isn't a very pleasant person. He is. But he talks more than any human on earth and knows next to nothing about pipes and tobaccos, even after spending every Wednesday with JD. How is that possible? I figured that he did at least 75% of the talking on the show and that wore me down. So I stopped listening after nine and a half years. Uh, I wish him well, but I can do without his constant yammering. He is apparently very good at the back end part of podcasts. I always enjoy Sinatra as the music selection, and Valentine's Day is a pain in the ASS ass. <laughs> so there's Casey Ghost. We got him on a uh, we we caught him on a bad day, but what can you say? <laughs> All right, again, comments, questions, email me Brian at pipesmagazine.com, and rant time is coming up next. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. Are you looking for that rare or favourite tobacco? Are you wanting to sell those blends or pipes you no longer fancy? Then visit tinbids.com, the pipe collector's auction site, and begin your search. Browse our ever-changing selection of fine and elusive luxury tobaccos, pipes and smokers' requisites, and bid on items in an exciting auction setting. Visit us at tinbids.com and sign up for free today. tinbids.com, the pipe collector's auction site. I think of myself as a somewhat fashionable person sometimes and you know we travel the world and I get to see different things and get out and I pay attention to stuff well here's what I was paying attention to over the past I don't know probably three months really is uh, men's fragrances now <coughs> men's fragrances have never been really my thing occasionally i'll splash something on you know if we're going out and you know i think i'm gonna get hey let's get lucky you know right doesn't work uh but anyway so i started looking around at some other men's fragrances and started paying attention to them because i thought all right you know maybe it's time i got one that's maybe a little more modern the last bottle that i got i think was bought for me in 1994 or 95 uh anyway we started looking around and i started to notice a hypocritical trend are you ready for this? Tobacco as a scent. Yes, tobacco as a scent. And if it, if you go on to CNN.com's 19 best colognes for men this Valentine's Day, well, three of them have tobacco right in the name, right in the description, including one that I bought, which is a very expensive one, so I don't suggest it for everybody, but it's Tom Ford's Tobacco Vanille. 
And that was the other trend that I noticed was that vanilla is a popular scent for men. Uh, some people would call it a winter scent. Now, here's the other thing I learned. What is amber? Amber, an amber essence? Well, amber essence is code for, it's going to smell a little bit like tobacco and vanilla. So all these years, who knew I was so fashion forward by smoking my pipe and I smelled like tobacco all the time uh, and Perique. But anyway, the fragrance companies, yeah, uh, some of them don't want to use the name tobacco in there, so they changed the name to Amber. So there's the hypocritical part for you. And uh, people don't like the smell of smoke, but apparently tobacco is in the description of three of the 19 best-selling men's fragrances all right i still can't get over it i'm all giggly all right remember comments questions email me brian at pipesmagazine.com i uh, apple podcast ratings and reviews are much appreciated keep sharing out the pipes magazine radio show wherever you are thank you to ethan for joining me thank you all for tuning in and until next time the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather happy Use your tongue prettier than a $20 whore.